I appreciate our youth leading us this morning and what a joy it was to be with them and to hear from them. If you still have your Bible, we're in Revelation 8. And if that strikes a note of ominousness to you, it should. Here we come to a passage that is the very climax, if you will, in some respects, of what people fear in Revelation. You know, it's been an interesting experiment to do this. I've never done a series this long. And there are a great many people who've never been a part of a series like this where I've taken it so slowly to take a look at every corner if possible. And one of the comments that came back to me was, I didn't know Revelation could be anything but scary. I understand that. And that calls me to think about What is Revelation's purpose? It's a letter to the church, and it has two functions. One, it is a word of encouragement, a word of blessing to the church that things will not always be like they are now, where evil will not always appear to win, where there will not always be a cloud hanging over our shoulders. Things will not always be as they are. There's a new day coming. And the next time Christ comes, he will not come as the meek and mild babe in the manger. If he is ruling and reigning and master and Lord of all, if that's good news to you, say amen. The other side, the other purpose, the other function of Revelation, it is a warning. A warning to those that are outside of Christ. A warning to those that would say, I'm of the earth and only the earth. A warning to those who would say, this part of me is all there is. It's a warning that intends to compel, compel back and push them from this camp into this one. And when we arrive at Revelation 8, verse 6, we get to one of the climaxes of it, the seven trumpets. Now this series is gonna take us a couple of weeks. I hope you'll forgive me for extrapolating long-term on it. But let us start here by saying the seven trumpets begin and we'll cover the first four today in this section that my friend Jack read for us a moment ago. Let's just start with a brief word of prayer. A prayer over this time we'll share and a prayer over those that need to be warned perhaps to change direction. Pray with me, won't you? Jesus, today, we have your word before us. And if we're honest, Lord, it's a little disturbing, frightening, maybe even terrifying. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what we might feel, the truth of your lordship, your mastery, Your authority is still just as real now as it ever has been, and it will be then too. That you need not fear the future, and neither do we, because we stand with you. So now as we engage in this study, Lord, I pray that you would bless this time, encourage us, strengthen us, and if there are those who need to receive it as a warning, that they might find you in the process. Lord, let it be so today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Let us jump right in with trumpet blast number one. Desolation 
on earth. Let me read it again for you, starting in verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Let me just pause here for a moment and say, when I was preparing to come to you to talk about this, this particular verse this morning, the part of me that looks out my window said, and how would we know the difference based on where we live with no green grass and not many trees? Let's rejoice, though, that this is not that moment. This is a different one. This is the moment that was foretold in verse 5. Go back there and you'll see that the angel has scooped up a censer full of coals and thrown them upon the earth. Here, as the trumpet blast, first trumpet blast arrives, we find the first fruits of it. It is a fierce and global storm, a storm that sweeps across everything, not unlike the storm of 1991 Halloween. Some of you may not remember it. We don't live in the region where it struck. It struck in the, in, in, in the Atlantic Northeast, New England. Sebastian Younger wrote a book about it. He called it The Perfect Storm. A motion picture was made a few years later telling the story of the Andrea Gale and her crew. They didn't know it, but there was a hurricane coming up from the south. There was a nor'easter blowing down from the Arctic Circle. There was a cold front pushing from the west toward the east, and all of them met right over the North Atlantic, all at once, right where the Andrea Gale was. But you know what? Wow, that was a terrible storm, and indeed it was. The fierce global storm that is described here in verse 7, that's not a shadow of it. Because see, we know about that storm because we read about it in the book, we saw it in the newspapers, perhaps even we saw the movie. But if we don't live in that region, so what? This storm is a fierce and global one, mixed with hail and fire, mixed with blood. It's reminiscent of the seventh plague in Exodus chapter 9 as hailstones pummeled the earth. It's what the prophet Joel talked about in Joel chapter 3, that there would be blood and fire in the last days. The fire may well be an electrical storm, or it may be what a friend of mine, my cousin who lives in, in the area around Carbon, Texas, back when they had the fires back in the early part of the spring, he told me that he saw a field get swept over by fire natos. I never heard of such a thing. But it was a wildfire that got caught up in the strong winds in the area, and those currents started sweeping around, and it was terrifying to even hear about it. Can I tell you today, my friends, this is what is foretold as the first trumpet blast sounds. Desolation on the earth. The storm will be widespread. One-third of the earth is destroyed. Green vegetation appears to be the target of the first trump. The Greek term that's used here could be translated fruit trees, meaning those that provide sustenance, thus upsetting the food chain in the event that all the green vegetation is destroyed. Even the most severe storms on record don't hold a candle to trumpet blast number one, desolation on the earth. 
As if that weren't bad enough, there's another trumpet right behind that one. Trumpet blast number two, desolation on the seas. Somebody might think, well, I'll find refuge on the waters. No, it's no better there. Verse eight and nine, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. I want you to go with me on a trip. Take a look at this picture that I brought with me. First one up here. This is Mount Tambora. It's in Indonesia. In 1815, April of 1815, this volcano erupted. And it was a cataclysmic eruption. 10,000 people died when it erupted. 36 miles worth of ash, pumice, and other rock were cast into the atmosphere. Worse yet, 60 megatons, megatons, of sulfur were released into the atmosphere. It was so bad, it changed the atmosphere of the earth, resulting in no summer that year. Ultimately, more than 80,000 people perished because of the eruption. This eruption, as bad as it was, was mostly regional. If you lived in the USA during that time, you maybe have heard about it, but maybe not. The one that is described with the trumpet blast number two is a global one. One that will cause panic and cause problems all over the world. It's a triple play. Wait a minute, let's take a look at the second picture that I brought with me. I want you to think about this volcano. This one's in Hawaii. Think about this volcano erupting and what this would do to all those who are around it, and what it would mean to have this fall upon us. This is catastrophic. There's nowhere to hide, no place tall enough to get away from it, no place low enough to escape it. This kind of disaster would be horrific. That's the message of the trumpet blast number two, desolation on the seas, There's no refuge on the land. There's no refuge in the water. It's a triple plague. A massive volcanic explosion with a a mass as large as a mountain thrown into the sea. And as we've learned in recent years, when something falls into the sea or an earthquake erupts under the sea, it causes a tsunami. And so that tsunami would then infect infect and uh, affect all of the land around it. Can I tell you, my friends, this is devastating. And as if that's not bad enough, the second part of the plague is the sea turned to blood. Since three quarters of the world is covered by water, to see a third of it turned to blood is reminiscent of the plagues of Egypt and reminiscent of the hopelessness they felt. This plague, the sea turned to blood, leads us to the third of the triple plague. A third of living creatures in the sea died, as well as one-third of the ships destroyed. Now, for me, a guy who doesn't like seafood, to see a third of the fish in the sea go away, that's no problem. But I was thinking about my lovely wife, who loves seafood, how catastrophic it would be for her. Can I tell you today, one-third of the living creatures in the sea died, one-third of the ships destroyed. I did some research, and I discovered there's about 50,000 sailing vessels registered as ocean-going vessels in the world. If we lost 16,000 of them, thereabouts, there would be a shortage of every imaginable variety. Friends, this catastrophic moment of desolation on the sea 
causes us to say, where then can we hide? That brings us to the third trumpet blast. Trumpet blast number three, desolation in the fresh water. Verse 10, third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Here we find a meteor, meteor, a meteor, I'll get it out in a minute, falling from heaven. God has numbered and named the stars, so says Job chapter 9. And as meteors likely do, as they draw closer to the earth, they break into chunks. And they fall into various parts of the land and water. Let's be clear. If a star actually did strike the earth, we would be destroyed. What does it look like for a meteor to strike us? Handy enough, between here and Penwell Speedway, just the other side of Odessa, there is a meteor crater. Take a look at this picture that I brought with me of it. This is an overhead picture. You can see roughly the outline. And fortunately, you'll notice that it just missed the visitor center. You see that, don't you? One of our church members in the first service pointed that out to me. A few years ago, some scientists came and they decided they would tunnel down to find the meteor. They would tunnel down, and they, they would dig down deep enough to find how far down. When they got to 175 feet, they decided that was deep enough. They didn't need to go any further. They never did find it. This meteor is a little impressive. But perhaps to get a better picture, we go to Arizona. Let's go a little further west to that next picture. This is Meteor Crater. You'll notice how well-defined this meteor was. We don't know exactly what the meteor, when it falls, will look like, but we know what it will do. It will strike the earth with ferocity, and it will come with a name. I want you to see it there again in verse, verse 10. I'm sorry, verse 11. The name of the star is Wormwood. Some of your Bibles have a note that means that Wormwood means bitter. And the result of it is that a third of the waters become bitter, the poisoning of fresh water. One third of all fresh waters will become bitter. One third of them too bitter to use. In Exodus 15, the water the Hebrews encountered at the place of Marah was bitter, so bitter that they complained to Moses that they couldn't drink it. So what did Moses do? He had to purify it. But friends, when we see the poisoning of fresh water here, there will be no solution. There will be no remedy other than God's punitive judgment, which will correct it in the long run. Consider that there are about 100 principal rivers in the world today, ranging from the Amazon at about 4,000 miles to the Rio de la Plata, 150 miles long. Our mighty Mississippi River, 3,710 miles, represents our most obvious examples. And we've built cities and cultures around fresh water. But what if one-third of all fresh water was no longer usable? This is the desolation of trumpet blast number three. Finally, trumpet blast number four. The devastation will not be limited simply to the created order on earth, but rather 
desolation in the heavens as well. See it in verses 12 and 13. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be dimmed, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. One-third of the heavenly bodies are darkened. Now, I did not know until I was on my way here this morning that this very evening is a lunar eclipse. So when you are out tonight and you see it starting to eclipse, don't jump to this passage and say, here it is. It may very well be. But imagine that it is not just a lunar eclipse, but an eclipse of the stars affecting our navigational capacity, a one-third dimming of the sun. Now, in our house, we have dimmer switches on some of our lights, and God bless the guy who invented that. I don't know who he is, but he's awesome. Dimmer switches that allow you to control how light or dark, ours are a little slide up and down switch like that. When you think about the sun being dimmed, let's be clear what that means. Much of the Earth's energy we draw from the sun, much of the vitamin D that we receive for our bodies we draw from the sun. When it doesn't shine, and in many places it doesn't, it creates a gap in mental well health, even if the situation is all well elsewhere. There was a place in Switzerland that they had constructed their town in a place that the sun did not shine for several months of the year because of the angle of the sun. So what did they do? They created a mirror and placed it on the mountain to reflect the sun's rays into their, their village. In one plaza in the middle of town, that's where the sun shines for a few hours a day. Can I tell you today, my friends, that's their solution, but there will be no such remedy when we arrive at this moment. The desolation that will come will be severe, and the effects are both for heaven and humanity. The heavens will be changed. Humanity will be changed as well. As the fourth trumpet reaches its peak, a remarkable messenger arrives. And we see him in the form of an eagle. Now, here's a question that we cannot answer. Is this eagle in Revelation 8 the same eagle that we saw worshiping at the throne in Revelation 4? The Bible doesn't say, but it is a possibility. Either way, the message that he brings is one of grief. He brings three woes. And in Hebrew and Greek writing and thinking, when you put three together, it is to stack it to its highest point. It can't get any worse. And that's exactly what he says. The messenger is saying, if you think this is bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. Indeed, in the coming weeks, we'll take up the remaining three trumpets. And I'll tell you now, 
It is a dark day for who the angel, I'm sorry, the eagle says, are the inhabitants of the earth. Now, when we read that, that phrase is found 12 times in Revelation. When we read it, the instinctive part in us is to say, that's us. We're the inhabitants of earth. But wait a minute. Wait just one moment. We may live on earth, but for those of us in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is not here on earth, it's in heaven. And so I might live on earth, but my home is in heaven. And can I tell you today, my friends, that is the difference between those of us who live on earth and those of us who inhabit earth. Those who inhabit earth, they are of the earth and for the earth. We're just merely on it. Today, I wanna ask you, which one is true for you? Are you on the earth or of it? I wanna ask you two questions to take home with you and we'll be done for today. One, can you stand firmly knowing God's judgment is sure and certain? If the answer is no, then prepare accordingly. Because here's the reality that we face. Our God, he will enact judgment. Prepare accordingly. Finally, live in the fullness of God's promised protection for his people. Oh, friends, today we're back to where we started. The twofold nature of Revelation. A word of encouragement for the people of God. Things will not always be this way. God will make all things right. He'll set everything new and everything will be according to his will and his plan and his purpose. A warning for those who are outside of Christ of what awaits them with an idea to woo them to repentance to draw them. Which one of these two are you in today? Which one? You see, the reality is a lot of us would like to say, well, I'm not ready to sell myself wholly over to Jesus because I don't want him to ask me, ask me to change so much of my life. But I'm not really ready to, 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 to fall into what I see here either, Darren, so I don't really want to be there. Can't I just take a position in the middle? No, you can't. No. To choose Anything other than Jesus is to choose the warning side. No, you can't remain neutral in this moment, in this conflict, for Satan will not allow it. The only way to be sure that these warnings, these terrible things that lie ahead miss you is to find Jesus to anchor yourself to him and to let your life be governed and directed by him. Oh, friends, his heart is for you. So many times people have misunderstood who Jesus is and what he came for. They think Jesus came to form a religion. He did not. He came to build a relationship with me, with you, with all of us. He didn't come to tell you where you were wrong. He came to make you right. 
And today, friends, Jesus stands ready to receive you. So if you're hearing this today and you're saying, this warning is terrible, I want to escape it, Darren, then here's what I want you to do. At the end of this service, you should come right on to this welcome center and say, Darren, I need to know more about Jesus. Will you talk with me about it? How can I meet Jesus in a personal way? Oh, I've been praying all week for that. Had the chance to do that just in the Sunday school hour with somebody. What a great blessing it is to get to tell people about Jesus and how they can move from death to life. Maybe you've already done that and you've never been baptized. It's a good day to get that conversation started too. Come out and talk with us about that. Perhaps you need a church family to walk with you. We'd be honored to be that for you. Come talk with us about that. Maybe you're not in the building and you'd like to do that. Pick up your phone and text the name Jesus to 315-0092. Got staff waiting on the other end of that line right now. You text in, they'll text back. Get the conversation started from there. Friends, this is the day God has given you to decide which of those two camps is yours. The warning side or the encouragement side. He longs for you to let it be him. Pray with me, won't you? Jesus, today, you've given us the opportunity to encounter you in your fullness and with great joy to encounter you. Truth be told, Jesus, all of us will eventually. Whether we do it in this life or at the judgment throne, we will encounter you. My prayer today, Jesus, is that you would free us to move from that camp of receiving today's word with terror to receiving that word with a word of encouragement. Jesus, you have given us gift of life. Don't let us squander it by fearing death. Would you guide us now, Lord, for the decisions that need to be made? I know they're sitting in front of me. I know they're listening. And I pray, Father, that you wouldn't let us go home the same way we came. Change us, Lord. May our lives be altered by you and through you. And now, Jesus, we surrender ourselves to you knowing that when you come again, you'll be the risen, ruling, and reigning Lord of all. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.